Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Uh, welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm pastor here. And today is Baptism Sunday. Okay. Um, so, um, gosh, this, this morning was so beautiful. There's a real sense of, I think, the tenderness of God in this room today. Uh, and we want to kind of continue on with that because I think the, the more that I experience my own journey with the Lord, I, the more I recognize how much tenderness and kindness are really like the antidote so, to so much of the perpetual disappointment that we experience in life, right? And I think that that's what kind of what the Lord wants to continue on with today. And it's so beautiful that we're going to be participating in uh, baptism and rededication today as a symbol of what the tenderness of God is able to accomplish. And so I'm going to pray. Um, I have a you know, pretty brief kind of message setting up for what we're going to be stepping into today. Uh, and we're just going to kind of see what the Lord does. Um, so if you just um, close your eyes, I'm going to pray for you and you pray for me. So Heavenly Father, we testify to the reality that you're here and that you're with us and that you are for us. You are not against us. Lord, we stand here on the, on the other side of Easter, on the other side of resurrection. That we've, we've found ourselves at, the, at the, the foot of your story, waiting to take that step in to allow your story to wash over us, to immerse us. Uh, and ultimately to translate us, to determine who we are, to give us new form, to give us new shape. That's why we're here, Lord, because we need to come together again. We need to hear the story all over again so that it might inform us and lead us into an encounter with you and the spirit of Jesus that's so present in this space. So Lord, we give you permission to speak and to do whatever it is that you desire to do here. Come, Holy Spirit. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so I want to kind of briefly recap the story as we've been following it along through Holy Week, and then we're going to be stepping into baptism in a little moment, but this was also a big weekend because we had another one of our women's retreats. How many women's were <laughs> retreating? Um, it looks like it was a great time. I'm excited to hear more about that. And we're, we're actually going to um, open up some space for testimony later as well. Um, but like I said, I want to talk about this story of Holy Week. You know, our, our vision for this year that we feel like the Lord has given us is to tell God's story with everything that we are. Um, but the first part of the year, we've been really focusing on and who are we and how are we called to tell the story. And I think Holy Week is such a beautiful place for us to focus on what exactly is the story that saves us. And so kind of this overview of the Holy Week story that leads us to resurrection. On Palm Sunday, with the, we began with the triumphal entry of Jesus, and we followed that last week of Jesus's life as he's kind of working towards the cross. And kind of the crux of our conversation then was that it's Jesus's humility, emptying himself of everything for our sake that saves the world. Because when human beings try to fix the world, we tend to reach for a bigger stick. 
When human beings recognize the brokenness within our species and how we interact with one another and how we treat ourselves and how we arrange um, ourselves in community, we tend to try to use violence in order to redeem ourselves from violence. And we end up in these vicious cycles. And it's so easy for us to assume that we project that onto God, that God just comes in and he's got an even bigger stick than the rest of us, and that's how he's going to save the world. And it's the same thing in the first century that those early followers of Jesus were expecting this Messiah, this King, this representative of God to come in and to start a revolution, to overthrow the Roman government, to reestablish Israel as its own proper country, and that's not what they got. They started that triumphal entry saying, yes, here he is, here's the Messiah, here's the King. And slowly throughout the week, Jesus speaks these words and gives these symbols to his people to kind of prepare them for what it is he's about to do on the cross because it was so counterintuitive to them. You see, the way that God decided to rescue us, to save us, was so not the way that we would have written the story. But God knew that there had to be something deeper there in order to walk us into real relationship with God and true salvation. And so it was Jesus' humility, not his strength and power and authority and control, but his strength and power demonstrated in giving up control, in giving up everything on the march to Calvary, releasing everything that he had, emptying himself of everything that he had in order to save us. We came together on Good Friday less so to experience the theology of the cross because sometimes our theological understandings of what God did on the cross actually prevent us from engaging with it. We can describe it really well, but it hasn't actually done anything to us. And so we stepped into this experience on Good Friday of trying to come alongside of the main characters in the story to experience the reality of that loss, to grieve alongside of the mother, the father, and the son, and to allow that in turn to release us into a new uh, permission to grieve because grieving rescues us from numbness and enables us to hope again. And so many of us have been inundated by these messages from the culture around us that do not permit us to properly grieve. And so when we come to Easter, we still feel as numb as any other day and we miss the message of God. And even we do this to ourselves in the church, don't we? that we're supposed to kind of focus in on the positive emotions, we're supposed to focus on victory and triumph on all of these things at the expense so often of the pain and the brokenness in our lives. But we recognize on the cross that it's a God who doesn't help us to transcend the pain in our lives, but actually walks alongside of us, who takes us by the hand and walks us through pain and grief and despair to the other side. And that grieving breaks us free from a culture of numbness but then grieving also permits us to begin to actually have hope and to finally experience joy. And of course, that's the place that we came to last Sunday with Easter, with resurrection, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities at the source in order to rescue us and to give us a new way of living. Because again, when we try to fix things, we just deal in symptoms, that human beings, we try to fix symptoms. So whether, you know, we had talked about that unholy trinity of the flesh and the enemy in the world, and for each of us as Christians, we can tend to gravitate to one of those places to try to fix the problem of evil, but it usually compounds upon us. 
But what we find in Jesus on the cross is that Jesus actually went to the source of evil itself. And we use that line in Colossians I love from Paul where he says that he, he made a mockery of the powers and authorities. And that's how he disarmed them. He actually humiliated the flesh and the enemy in the world. All these, these places of supposed power that are supposed to control human beings. And Jesus said, all of that is null and void. And it almost would have been enough if Jesus had just died for what he believed in and we we saw him as this tremendous martyr, but that's not where the story ended. We actually found resurrection on the other side, new life, that when God brings Jesus to life, what he's doing is he's actually saying Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And I'm the kind of God that I've almost promised that I was going to be. And so that journey through the story of Holy Week when we're really attentive, when we really begin to to hone in, not coming with our agenda of who we need Jesus to be to justify our position or to justify who we think we are, but we really come open-handed and open-hearted to begin to see the way that Jesus sees, to hear Jesus in the way he wants us to, to hear him. We find that we're transformed by this dramatic counterintuitive story that's not the story that we would have written that rescues the world but ultimately it becomes something better because it actually saves us and it offers us this new way to understand what it means to be human beings. And so we're gonna be looking at Romans 8, at the tail end of Romans 8 here in just a moment, but what Paul's doing in this whole portion, you can almost imagine Romans like this kind of big grandiose orchestral piece and it has these different movements with these different climaxes and one of Paul's conversations kind of climaxes in this moment in Romans 8, but he's kind of making this point. Well, what is it that happened on the cross? Like, How do we actually wrap our heads around that? Because sometimes when we look at even the, the moment of salvation or our journeys, there's still, we're surrounded by sin and death. Raise your hand if you already sinned today. All right, look at that. Look how honest we are. That's great. We're still surrounded by sin and death. And sometimes, you know, we look at the material reality of our lives in the moment, and then we encounter the story of Jesus, and we see, oh, we're supposed to look like this, or we're supposed to behave like this, or this is what it means to be a Christian, and those two things don't seem to connect. And then we begin to wonder, well, maybe this story isn't true. Maybe the story is, is the fanciful notion that we made up to make ourselves feel better, but it doesn't really apply because I don't see the evidence of it in my day-to-day life. I think perhaps this is one of the reasons that Paul writes this letter to the Romans who are really kind of debating what does it mean to, to be a follower of Jesus? What is it supposed to look like? And he begins to kind of take apart that discussion piece by piece. And when he enters into Romans 8, he gives them this really amazing analogy. He says, what has already happened to you is just like what we saw in the scriptures uh, that God did through Moses. In the same way that God, through Moses, led the prisoners out of death in Egypt into new life in the promised land, that's what God is doing for you, but instead of Moses, we now have Jesus. And so he begins to uh, contrast these ideas of life in the flesh versus life in the spirit, and he's calling to mind that imagery of when God chose to lead Israel through the desert, the place where it didn't feel like it worked, the place it didn't feel like there was very much victory, the place where even sometimes the Israelites said, you know, I kind of feel like we had it better in Egypt. Like, yeah, we didn't make any money at all, but at least there was food. At least there was something to do with our hands. We're in the desert place. There's literally nothing here. Maybe we should just go back. And Paul's saying, I know sometimes you feel like the deliverance that you've received from the Lord because of Jesus. Sometimes the temptation is to just say, maybe it's easier to go back to the other place. 
that slavery actually seems comfortable. It actually seems okay to give yourself over to the status quo of the world. The world that says you've got to perform and you've got to triumph and you've got to be strong and you've got to be capable and you've got to be smart and you've got to be all of these different things in order to achieve. Maybe it's easier just to kind of play those games in order to get your piece of the pie. And Paul's writing to people that are struggling in that same thing and saying, you have to remember that we're being led by the Spirit because the flesh devours other people. The flesh is might makes right. The flesh is the status quo of this is how the world works and you just have to give yourself over to it. But the Spirit is leading us into a new way of being human beings. And so there's this kind of climactic moment at the end of Romans 8, um, and this is actually what Paul writes uh, to those first hearers. In Rome, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Actually, let me give you the piece before this. It's really good, too. I love Romans. I'm a total nerd for it. So the piece before this, he's saying, you know, it's like all of creation is groaning in anticipation. Like as in a, like a woman in childbirth. Like we know this thing's coming, and it's right there, and it's not here yet, but there's a lot of pain and mucus involved in it. It just seems like really messy, but it's going to be really good. And you have to trust in that sometimes. That's kind of how he's setting this up. So he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Think about that. Right now, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of his Father, and he's praying for you. Maybe now you feel a little less lonely. Maybe now you feel a little less stuck in the desert. Maybe you feel a little less disappointed that we had this kind of triumphant moment on the first day of Easter, and now we go back to regular life. But Jesus, right now, is at the right hand of the Father praying for you, championing you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I love this phrase, we're more than conquerors, because what do we do when we're stuck in the status quo of the world? We go, that's right, we're conquerors. We've got a shield and a sword, and we're going to go out there because God's on our side, and our tribe is justified and in the right, and we're going to prove to everybody that we're deserving and, and we're the winners because God's on our side. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. You're more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors. You're not conquerors. You're more than conquerors. And I love that phrase because, again, Paul is playing this game that Jesus was laying down in Holy Week, that we think it's about 
picking up the sword. We think it's about justifying ourselves. It's about defending ourselves. It's about getting our piece of the pie. He says, no, you are more than conquerors because the battle has already been won for you. You no longer need to play those games. You don't need to prove your worth by how smart you are or how pretty you are or how capable you are or how well you dress or whatever the the gauge may be that you normally place your human value. You don't have to fight those kind of fights anymore because it's already been won for us. And four times he essentially asked the same question, who stands to, to, to condemn you? Who is there now around you that can point their finger in your face and say, you're not good enough? There's nobody because they've all walked away because Jesus has humiliated all of them. Jesus humiliated all of those ways of measuring human value. Jesus humiliated all of those human structures of power and authority. He made a mockery of all of those things and said, that is not the measure of a man. That is not the measure of a woman. There's a new way to understand being human beings, but it's in God's world on God's terms because of what God has done through Jesus. All of the voices in the back of your head that would point a finger and condemn you and to tell you you're not enough have been sent away and they've been humiliated by what Jesus has done on your behalf. I think that sets us up for understanding what we're celebrating today. That, you know, so often in the church calendar, Easter is the time that we celebrate baptism and rededication. In fact, today, for our Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters, this is them celebrating Easter today, you know? For us in the church calendar, we formally call it the second Sunday of Easter because the celebration from last week doesn't actually have to stop. We can still have mimosas today. It's okay. We can break out the champagne because we, resurrection life is not something we experience once a year. We have the calendar to, so that we can walk the story, but so the story becomes integrated in our everyday lives. And we experience the reality of Good Friday so that we can walk into Resurrection Sunday and realize that's really the pattern for everything in our lives. God, we're constantly experiencing the death of disappointment and despair and loss, but we're constantly being brought back to life. And the more that we do that, the more we finally find ourselves firmly established in the kingdom of God. And for us to live into resurrection life is to affirm that God's love is what saves us. We are not saved by playing the game. We're not saved by giving ourselves over to the powers and authorities of this world that determine who, what our value is and what we're to do with our time. No, we are saved because God's love is the only thing that can actually endure the violent systems of the world, that can endure the egotistical desires of the flesh, that can endure the onslaught of those evil voices of the enemy. And we see kind of God's love in three capacities in, in what Paul's saying here in Romans 8. Number one, God's love robs sin and death of their power. Do they still exist? Yes. But they've been robbed of their power, which is to separate man from God. And that begins the work on the other side then of redemption, where God's now doing something within each one of us where he's working out those places of sin He's working out those places of death in us, and what is true on the inside of us is slowly becoming true on the outside. And secondly, God's love gives us the tenacity to endure and thrive without playing into the status quo. When we are persecuted, when we are troubled, 
when we're in famine, when we're under the sword, whatever those temptations are that are pressing in against us, and it, and it just feels easier. This is what I, like I talked about last week. I don't believe the gospel is practical because often we're talking about practical. We're saying, how do I already exist in the world as it is currently and just find out how to protect myself there? And it's not practical. It's radical. It's saying, no, there's a whole other way that you can circumnavigate that system. But God's love gives us the courage that instead of the temptation to pick up the sword against other people, to, to buy into the corrupt systems of mankind. It gives it the spirit of God leads us in a new way and gives us the courage to continue to stay true to who we've been called to be. And finally, that God's love raises us to life time and again. And we see that there's just, there's one story. There's one story in the entire universe and it's life, death, and resurrection. And we see it over and over and over again. And piece by piece, what has died within us is being brought back to life. And we experience that resurrection story. And so I think that brings us to what baptism really is. Baptism is less what I think so happen, happens to us is that we think baptism is about us justifying ourselves, right? I read the book, all the facts are in, and I've decided, yes, I believe in this thing. I'm giving it my stamp of approval. Guess what, that's called self-righteousness when we justify ourselves and say, well, I'm you know, pretty much in control of how the universe works and I decided this story is valid and so I'm gonna make this symbol. But baptism is actually this recognition that at the loss of everything, I cannot be helped. I cannot help be swept up in the story of God and to find my new identity in what that is. I find that I have died. I've died to those ways of being in the world. I've died to those corrupt systems. I've died to the lies of the enemy that tell me that I'm never going to be enough and I have to keep performing and, and, and striving in order to find my place in the world. But I've died to all of those things and I've been raised into this new world called the kingdom of God. And I think what's so powerful about baptism for me is it's not just about the person being baptized, but it's actually about all of us together. Because just like Jesus' first followers, we need words and symbols that remind us of the story. That's why we keep showing up here on Sundays, because we need those words and symbols. We need the testimonies of other people's lives and what God's doing in other people's stories to remind us of who we are so that we can have the tenacity to stay on track and to continue to walk through the desert season waiting for whatever it is that God's going to do next. And so baptism is as much a symbol for the community to recognize this is what it looks like when God rescues us. This is what it looks like when through death we're brought back into new life. And it's the same thing with marriage. If you're married, your marriage is not just about you and your spouse. Your marriage is a symbol for the rest of us. This is what it looks like when God pursues his bride. This is what it looks like when creator and creation come back together because we need each other in order to live the kind of open lives that tell the story in real time because your story, your, your life becomes the best translation of the story that you can give us. And when you tell your story, it gives the rest of us courage to continue to go. And so what we're celebrating today, we've got two people who are rededicating themselves to Christ uh, through this symbol. But we also want to open it up for anybody else in here. If you have not yet been baptized, or perhaps you've wandered from the story, 
and you recognize that God wants to draw you back into it, and so you want to be rededicated through water. We want to make that available for you, and there's going to be um, in the back there um, in the library, we actually have like t-shirts and sweatpants and towels and everything, so you don't have to like get your clothes wet, but if, if that's something that God is impressing upon you where you're, you're, you've witnessed the story of God play out, and you're saying there's something about that that I cannot help but be sucked into, and allow that story to translate me. We, we want to give space for that to happen. Um, but for the rest of us, we're actually going to participate um, in a liturgy that so many uh, thousands of Christians around the world are, are celebrating in this week in terms of renewing our vows, uh, the vows that we each took in baptism. And the beauty of these vows, it's almost like, you know, on your anniversary with your, with your, of your wedding with your spouse, and you kind of turn to them and you're like, you still in? Yeah, okay. You still in? Okay, cool. Let's eat some cake. But then it's like, it's like the 10 year and you go, seriously though? Like, I want to renew these vows. You don't come to your spouse and go, I, I finally, I want to get married now. That's insane. They say, what happened to the previous 10 years? Did that not matter? You say, no, I, I'm, I'm so much more committed to this now than I was at the beginning that I want to renew those vows. And I think that's kind of like what it is for us as Christians uh, to, to step into those vows and say, it's still true. Maybe it's even more true for me now than it was before. And so I want to invite you guys to stand with me. And um, we're going we're gonna to take these vows together. There's three vows that are renunciation, where we're leaving something behind. And it's nice because these three vows kind of echo that unholy trinity that we talked about last week in the flesh and the enemy in the world. But we recognize that God is not just saving us from something, but he's also saving us to something. And so there's going to be three vows of something that we're taking upon ourselves that's replacing uh, those three things that we are renouncing. Uh, and so I'm going to pray Uh, And then we're going to do this call and response, and then we're actually going to have a a time to pray over one another. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you speak to us through story and symbol. You speak to us through uh, teaching, but you also speak to us through the lives of those uh, with whom you have wound us into a church. You've woven us together. And when our lives come together, we become this tapestry Um, that speaks to your glory, that speaks to your character, that speaks to your plan for how you're going to rescue this world, that you're going to rescue the human family. And so, Lord, we come before you right now uh, ready to recommit ourselves to renew the vows that we have made to you. That there's always been these temptations along the way to to pick back up the things that we have been commanded to, to let go of. And that we always haven't taken up the things that we've been called to. But again, you're a God of resurrection. You're a God of new life. And your mercies are new every morning. So Father, as we take up these vows again, we pray that you would honor that with your presence. That you'd begin to minister to each one of us. In our heart, in our mind, in our body, and in our spirit. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the season of Easter. And how it reminds us of your heart for us. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And so first, the three renunciations. Number one, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Are you sure? Because it sounds like you don't. Maybe you don't. Let's try it again. Because this is a pretty big deal. 
do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Right. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? And three things that you're being invited to take up. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? Amen. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to invite uh, the candidates for baptism and rededication to go ahead and get changed. If there's anybody in here and you still feel that desire to be baptized or to be rededicated, go back to the library and someone will be, will be there uh, to meet you, uh, to get you sorted out. And we're going to jump into that in just a moment after worship. But for the rest of you, I want you to turn with the people that you came with. If you came alone, just turn to the people that are closest to you. And I want you to lay hands over one another. And I want you to pray over one another that that the renewal of your vows would become more true each and every day, that those renunciations would become ever more lived in and those realities of choosing into Jesus, you would see it more day by day in your life. And I really believe that as we lay hands on one another as the saints, as the people of God, the things that we speak with our mouths are kind of sealed on our hearts. Um, and then we're gonna continue on in worship. So let's turn and let's pray over one another. So it's, you know, it's not just enough to talk about resurrection, but, you know, I do believe that it's the stories, it's the symbols that really draw us into the reality of what we're celebrating, but also draw us into the reality of giving us courage when we don't feel like celebrating, when we feel like we're struggling. So we want to open it up um, for a time for, for, for you to give testimony, to tell stories to the family of this is what it looks like. And so this question, where do you see signs of resurrection? Where do you see signs of new life around you? And to be able to share those stories in a way that encourages the rest of us. And uh, we actually wanted to start, I wanted to bring up our dear friend Daniel, if you want to give him a round of applause. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, um, I just want to kind of give um, just my, my experience and the importance of testimonies. Um, yeah, y'all can go ahead and sit. Um, so one time, uh, Mark Vandervernay was giving, um, or maybe I was just talking with him, he wasn't even on stage, um, saying how sometimes at coffee shops he will um, ask, the word, ask the Lord for a word for the person next to him, um, and then just share it with him. And I was like, well, that's, that's interesting, like, have you had any, like, fruit through it? And he was like, yeah, one time I, I, gave, I just gave her the paper, and I was like, hey, read this, like, see if this resonates with you. Um, and before she finished it, she was like crying because it was, it was exactly what she needed to hear. Um, and so I was like, well, if something like that happened, like I'd, I'd love to be able to be that, you know, for that person. Um, so I was, I was on a trip um, and I was sitting next to this couple um, at a coffee shop. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Um, and so this is, the, this is the word that he gave me. You are desired by God. He still wants you in his family, desperately. His desires are good. They're always for you, for prospering, for fullness, for joy. He wants joy for you, not happiness that's fleeting and lasts a little while. He wants joy for you every morning. And so I, I let the couple read over it, um, and they both really resonated that he, he still wants you to be in his family. They had just, um, they just toured a... 
uh, like a cathedral, this massive cathedral that um, was just next door to this coffee shop. And uh, like, I don't even think anyone even uses it for worship anymore. Um, it was in Montreal, Canada. And they both looked at each other and they said they were both feeling the same thing that like, wow, we used to, we used to be both involved in church and like, I've really wanted to for a long time. And, and they both said that same thing to each other. Um, but they hadn't, they hadn't said that until, until this moment when I shared this word with them. Um, and so it was really sweet just to be like it. I could, I could just tell like this was what the Lord was saying to them in this like in this moment, and that I was able to be this this conduit for for that. Um, but it wouldn't happen unless Mark just told me, hey, I, I did this this one time. Um, so I think that's the that's the power of, of sharing testimonies. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Um, I want to invite up our friend Mark Jackson. I'm going to give Mark a round of applause. So Mark, where are you seeing signs of resurrection? So I get to say this because my wife is on the women's retreat and she's not here because she'd be crawling into a hole if I started talking about her on stage. Um, so I'm seeing resurrection in my life. Um, I've been married for about eight, eight months um, and it's something I wanted all my life. Um, but I didn't think that my marriage would be the way that my marriage is. Um, and that's a really cool thing because I, it's, it's better than I thought it would have ever been and it's harder than I thought it ever would have been for my good. Um, and uh, my marriage with Shannon um, opened my eyes to God uh, more than I ever thought that I was missing. Um, Ryan and I use a similar uh, adage uh, of withness. Um, just an unending, I'm, I'm with you, I'm not going anywhere. And I knew that in theory, um, but as I, as I joined together in a life with Shannon, uh, marriage is a beautiful and ugly reflector of things that are going on in yourself. Um, and in a lot of ways, it, it turned my eyes to, to God is the same way. I can just choose to ignore it a little bit more. Um, but having that person that's always there and having that person that doesn't go anywhere and, and you can't constantly fake it, you can't turn it off. Um, and you inevitably end up seeing something inside of yourself that has to go away. Um, was a beautiful reflection of God's heart for me and, um, and his tenderness that I, I think that I can fake it, but I just unknowingly like forget that he's just right beside me. I just choose to not look at him. Um, but when I have a wife and she sees that and it, it makes me turn my eyes and go, oh, she sees that, then God sees it all the time. Um, and it's made my relationship with God so much more tender, uh, so much sweeter. Um, it's made me understand his grace for me because he sees way more than my wife does. Um, but she still chooses to be gracious with me. Um, and it's through her withness, it's through her love uh, that makes God's love so much sweeter, that makes God's witness so much more aware and potent in my life. Um, and so, yeah, marriage is a beautiful thing. You guys should want it. You guys should be afraid of it. You guys should <laughs> really revel in its beauty. Um, so, yeah. That's great. Thank you. Um, does anybody else feel like they have a story of resurrection in their own lives they want to share or a word they want to share? I want to make sure we give proper space for this. Yeah, come on up, Ricardo. Yeah, Ricardo. 
So um, the other day I was at work and um, I work in the entertainment field. So it's very easy to um, put on a performance. And um, so um, recently I won this award at um, Universal and um, a good friend of mine who's a pastor, well, he's expiring to be a pastor, said that he had a, um, um, a message that he gave to his congregation. Um, and But he couldn't finish what he wanted to say, but he said exactly what the Lord had laid on his heart. So a lot of time in my story, um, viewing the world through addiction and recovery and depression, I sometimes don't think my word matters. So I was talking to him and he was putting himself down saying, I can't believe I didn't finish what I wrote. And I said to him without even thinking, the Lord laid upon my heart and said, you said what God had laid on your heart. You said exactly his word, not your words. And the next day he came back to me and he said, Ricardo, I really appreciate you talking to me because another brother at his church said the same exact thing I said. And at that moment, like I am now, I get chills because not remembering who God is in our lives and going through shame and fear removes us away from him. And I'm so grateful that I had that experience with him just the other day to know that he is real and that it doesn't matter what you do, it can never turn you away from the love of God and what he has in his heart and what he has in his, um, has in the future for you. So um, I'm grateful even um, being a part of this ministry um, because one of the things the Lord has really been laid upon my heart is is not, I have a tendency to push people away because of shame. And the moment I walked into this church, I was embraced and continue to be. And um, so I'm grateful to you, Ryan, uh, for the word that you administer to us and administer to our hearts. Thank you. <laughs> we got time for one more. With all of our women on a retreat, it's been a lot of gentlemen up here. Okay, here we go. Rachel, come on up. So uh, last summer, I was experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety, and I was a mess. And I walked in one Sunday, and it was baptism Sunday, and uh, Ryan was talking about despair and grief and hopelessness, and it, it hit me in a way that hadn't ever hit me before. And I went home, I was in the morning service, I went home and I literally spent the entire afternoon just worshiping God to music, blasting in my house alone and just crying and praising and, and being transformed. And so I came back that night and I was rededicated, rebaptized, and I was able to say, like, I declare that there is hope over the depression and the anxiety. and. It didn't change instantly that day. It was a long process of uh, a lot of pain and a lot of working of things out. But at the beginning of the year, like my word on my little washer is hope. And what Ryan said this morning about grieving enables us to have hope was just very true in my life. It was a painful year, but it turned into hope. And 
the grounding that I feel now, the uh, energy that I feel now to put out to other people and to worship in this space with you guys and just to be who I am is been such a transformation and such an amazing thing and I look back at my rebaptism as like that milestone that point where I did rededicate I did change and it changed my life and now I get to stand here and talk about it and feel okay enough to even just say those words so thank you for everybody that was here with me hi you guys <laughs> Okay, um, a couple months ago, there was this incident that God had revealed to me, and I'll spare you the details, but it involved a lot of rejection, a lot of mental illness, and a lot of just crazy, stupid stupidity. And I was not looking forward to this retreat, I'll just be honest. But where I see signs of resurrection in this story is that my biggest fear was that if I shared this story, if I really revealed my whole self my whole emotional, scarred, crazy self, I would get completely run out of the house. Um, of course, that's absolutely crazy because that didn't happen. But um, I was surrounded by women who loved me and mothered me and sistered me when I really needed it. And that's been the source of a lot of really deep pain for me, especially in my past, in my early 20s. But um, there was a prompt uh, in the retreat that says, like, I was and now I am. And so I can say that I was imprisoned by my past where if I held my, if I exposed myself fully, then I would just get rejected completely. And now I can say that I am walking towards freedom and now I'm at the point where God has not told me not only just to walk towards freedom, but to run towards it. So I can't do it. I realized I can't do it alone. And I realized that I have a lot more support than I thought. So this retreat changed my life in the best way. So, um, Heather, you guys could just keep applauding. Heather's coming up. She's got a story to share as well. Um, praying about this for a little bit now and it's like a three-part three-parter when I was little I was on the free and reduced lunch plan anybody else public school Woo poor kids well not really poor because first world but um, nevertheless um, I kind of got that like that money kind of makes things happen when I was really little and I figured out when I was seven that I could I could drive or not drive drive um, ride my bike to the handyway and buy pixie sticks for 50 cents and I got 50 pixie sticks and I hated pixie sticks but I could barter them to get like a pudding pack or like something else that my parents couldn't afford to put in my lunchbox and so I, I relied on myself for like trust and like oh my parents can't provide this so I can do it myself like I just have to be my own person so to speak and so I get to know God and God and I go through like a whole bunch of things and then I become a teenager and like he starts telling me things and I start trusting him a little a little um, but he seems to be like consistently there and I get older and older and um, my parents lose their business and go bankrupt and there's nothing like there's nothing that I could do aside from stay at home 
and not go to college with friends and not move out and stay with my parents and see them like work through this really hard time. And most people don't know this, but um, we got kicked out of our house on Christmas when I was in college. And we moved into this other house and I lived in the dining room for a while. Um, and then um, I had gotten a job as a teacher, which was making more money than at Subway, which was like fantastic. And I had saved up enough and I really felt like the Lord was like, Heather, buy a house, Heather, buy a house. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with a house. Um, and I had prayed about it and he told me it was a yellow house and it had four bedrooms. And I was like, okay. And me being practical as well, I was like, Lord, I can paint it yellow. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so I find this house and it's a little bit above my price range. It's, um, I'm just gonna tell you numbers because numbers are not weird. They, we should talk about them more. But I bought it for 160,000, probably two or three years ago at this point now. And I knew that the Lord had that for me because of like, there had been other things that had happened that I trusted the Lord and like, this was a big deal. This was a big buy. And what was happening with the house was like, things kept falling through and things kept falling through. And I kept, like not moving into the house. And I like, I didn't know, like, am I supposed to, am I not hearing correctly? Is there something wrong? And I kept, I just kept saying like, I think that this is, I still think that this is what the Lord has for me. And then our, my parents and I both were quote unquote homeless for what we thought would be two weeks that turned out to be six months. And like, if God did not come through with that, like I had no plan B. Like I was just trusting God and I did. And he came through and I ended up getting the house. That's where my parents live now. And when I bought the house three months later, it was worth 200,000 and now it's worth 250,000, which I didn't know that at the time. I just knew to trust God. And then the next year he was like, well, Heather, what do you want? Like, what do you want? And I was like, honestly, God, I just want you to pay off my bills. And he's like, I already did that. And I didn't realize you could refinance and like do things like that. Um, and so it was this moment of trust and then process and then breakthrough. Like there was nobody telling me like in the middle of like the homeless season that like, oh yeah, it's gonna work out. Like, I mean, Hallmark will tell you that, like it's everything's gonna be fine in the end. But during that process, that moment of like, I need you God to come in this moment for breakthrough, like, like you have to trust God. And I feel like there's such a strong pull for that here that like, that we have people that have dreams for, for businesses, for relationships, for healed relationships, for, for health. And we don't talk about it. And so we don't pray about it. And so we don't believe God and we're not trusting God. And I just feel like that's something we need to do more of. So I'm going to be in the back. And if anybody wants to come pray with me with people about that, I'm going to do that. Um, where are Noah and Joanne? Noah and Joanne. Come on up. All right. Come on up, Joanne. I, I got to do her wedding, too. So this is like double awesome. Um, so, yeah, Joanne, share a little bit. Well, um, we came to church and we were speaking about intimacy, which is my least favorite topic, obviously. And um, we talked about how God makes the first move. And he did. He made the first move. And he's been pursuing me super patiently uh, through marriage and through family and through community. <laughs> um, and, and now it's time for me to pursue him for forever. So, yeah. That's good. Thank you. 
Noah? Here, I'll hold it. You'll hold it? Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's finicky. All right. Uh, well, my name is Noah. Uh, I've been coming here for, what, four weeks? My buddy Daniel, um, I played soccer with him in high school, and he was the best player on the field, hands down. Um, <laughs> he played defense. It's not Ronaldo here. Um, but yeah, uh, the reason I'm, I'm standing here today is definitely one, because of God, and uh, two, because of my parents. And uh, I definitely, I grew up in a church. Um, I was poured into, I was loved, I was blessed to, to be uh, accustomed to hearing Christ and uh, His Word, and definitely I took that for granted, and I decided that the grass was greener on the other side. So when I turned 17, I said, uh, I'm done with God. I've done this uh, game for too long and I'm tired of it. And um, that's when I decided just to think that I knew better than God, which never happens, but I thought I knew better than God. And um, I definitely went through a, a long, dark road of a lot of impropriety and relationships, uh, a lot of drug abuse, um, ended up to the point where I started selling drugs. And uh, there was one day when I was selling drugs and I got robbed and run over by a Lynx bus. And uh, <laughs> yeah, not hit, uh, I was actually run over like right here. Sounds crazy because I'm standing here. That's God. Um, and in that moment, I was really angry at God. And I was like, God, you're putting me through this and I'm suffering. Why, why do I have to suffer? Why didn't you just let me die? And uh, God was really molding me and working on my heart in that period to realize that, Noah, I have a plan for you and you weren't ready for me to use you then, so I had to humble you. And you, you, you left me and I never left you. And now you're at the point where you have full dependency back on me. And now I'm gonna bless you and restore you. And that's exactly what he's done. He's restored me and my parents. He's restored me physically and uh, I've come to the decision that I've rededicated my life to Christ, but I've not symbolized this since I was seven years old. So that's what I'm here to do today. All right, that's great. So what I want is I want everybody to stand up and we're gonna come over and we're gonna gather uh, around the pool. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.